You're listening to Matt Walsh On Demand. The experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website, powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-215-0465. That's 800-215-0465. So some of the biggest uh, companies, biggest internet giants have, uh, according to recent reports, begun a widespread campaign to crack down on hate speech. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Google, YouTube, other companies have officially agreed to uh, eradicate this offensive content across their platforms. Uh, reading, from, reading from an article about this deal, it says U.S. tech giants have, have signed an agreement with the European Commission to tackle the spread of illegal hate speech online that requires them to address complaints within 24 hours. Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft, YouTube adopted the code of conduct on this past Tuesday, committing to crack, to, to crack down on, on the use of online hate speech swiftly by putting in place eternal procedures to respond to the majority of notifications of abuse within 24 hours and removing the offended content if necessary, so on and so forth. Now, um, I, and, and this, is, this has sparked a, a discussion about hate speech, and, and the thing is I, I've always supported the right of private companies, of these private companies specifically, and all private companies, to run their businesses how they see fit. So if they want to turn their platforms into rigidly controlled, one-sided uh, Orwellian echo chambers for left-wing thought, they should certainly be free to do so. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not advocating taking that right away from them. But the troubling thing about these kinds of campaigns against hate speech is, um, and sometimes even more than the result, the troubling thing is the rationale used for them and the precedent that they set. Um, after all, those, those who set out to banish hate speech almost never admit that they're trying to control speech. And I, would, I actually wouldn't mind as much if Twitter and Facebook just came out and said, look, we don't really believe in free speech um, and we are trying to control speech and this is our platform and we can do it. So if you don't like it, go somewhere else. And if they said that, I wouldn't even, you know, there wouldn't even be much to talk about. You might say, okay, well, I'm not going to use Facebook and Twitter anymore. But when people say, well, we're going to control hate speech, but we're not actually controlling speech, that is the, um, that's when it's a problem. You know, when, when people say that whatever they consider hateful is not, in fact, legitimate speech, it doesn't count. Now you've set a very dangerous precedent. And this was articulated by Karen White, who's a, a, a mucky muck over at Twitter. She said, uh, there's a clear distinction, quote, unquote, between freedom of expression and conduct that incites violence and hate. And of course, specifically calling on people to attack or kill someone else is illegal and should be. And I think we would all agree that there's a, there's a distinction between that and free speech. Um, you cannot 
helpfully suggest to your friend that he kill your annoying neighbor and then and then when the cops come say well i had i had free speech you know a wife can't can't set up a, a hit on her on her rich husband to collect the life insurance and then say hey first amendment man we know that okay that that is speech in a literal sense it's a person speaking to another but it's it's speech specifically and directly intended to cause physical harm to another individual. And I think almost everyone agrees that this kind of speech should not be and is not protected under the First Amendment. So we all we all agree on that. And that's not, you know, inciting violence, calling a hit on somebody. That's not hate speech. That's that's um, that's attempted murder. So we don't even need to call it hate speech. But what about speech that incites hate, quote unquote, as Karen White at Twitter said. Um, The American Bar Association's website, I looked up their definition of hate speech, and what they say is that hate speech is speech that offends, threatens, or insults groups based on color, race, religion, national origin, sexual orientation, disability, or other traits. Except for Christians, you're allowed to say whatever you want to them. Unquote. That last part isn't really in their definition, but it's, you know, it's, it's implied. So speech that incites hate, uh, speech that offends, insults. This is really what we're talking about when we say hate speech. And this is where the major huge problem arises. And I hear this all the time from people, by the way. I'm accused every day of causing hate or inciting hate or being hateful engaging in hate speech hateful speech speech that's hateful and often the people who lob these accusations make it quite clear that they do not think i should be free to carry on with my hateful ways i've been told that many many times that what i'm saying is illegal or should be illegal or whatever um And when leftists talk about prohibiting hate speech, this is what they mean. Not speech that clearly and explicitly encourages acts of physical violence against a specific target, but speech that might cause any protected group or any member of those groups to feel offended or insulted. Or just as bad, speech that might encourage others to think unkind things about any of these groups or any activities that members of these groups might enjoy. That's what they mean by hate speech. And almost half, according to, uh, I think it was a Pew survey, 40, 45% of the lost sheep in my generation think that this kind of speech should be limited. That's the word used in the survey through legal measures by the government. This kind of speech. Um, and that proposal is not as popular among older demographics, older, older demographics, so it may take another few years. But there is no doubt that if we continue along our current trajectory, eventually we will simply not be allowed to say whatever the left has labeled as hateful. And that's the first thing we have to understand, that the first step in any censorship project is always to label. Um, because we know that the left never engages in an actual argument or rarely do they what they're more inclined to do is label the argument 
So you make a point. You say, oh, I think this because X, Y, Z. And they don't say, well, I think you're wrong because ABC. They say, oh, well, X, Y, Z is homophobic. And then they give each other high fives and they, and they, and they go about their merry way. <laughs> Won that argument. Really showed that guy. But they didn't. They didn't argue at all. They just said, they just, and that's not an argument. When somebody says something to just, to just put a label on whatever they said, oh, well, what you just said is blank. That's not an argument. That's just a label. It's an accusation. But the thing is that, that often labeling is, is enough to cause their weaker-willed opponents to censor themselves. And, and that is precisely why you know, what we're seeing in, in, um, with, with just what I started off here with the, with the social media, this is going on over, over in Europe, not in the United States just yet, where there's this collusion between government forces and social media to censor their platforms. And that is, you know, if that was happening here in America, which it will be one day, that is a First Amendment issue because the government's involved. Um, but the reason why I don't think we've seen the same really Orwellian speech limitations and, and, and laws against speech in this country as we have seen in Europe and in Canada and so many other places, the reason why is because, is because it hasn't been necessary. Liberals have found in, enormous success in, in, in many areas by exploiting the fear that people have of being labeled. So they have found it really, yeah, it's not an argument, but they've found it that often someone stands up and says, hey, I'm against gay marriage because here are my reasons. And then they say, well, that makes you homophobic. And a lot of times the person will say, oh, I'm sorry then, I'm sorry, I'm not homophobic, never mind, forget I said anything. This is millions of, probably millions of Christians in this country have abandoned their faith simply because they don't want to be accused of being bigoted. There are other reasons too, laziness, you know, spiritual apathy, uh, things like that. But for a lot of people, the final wedge that separated them from their faith is this idea that, well, if you really believe these things, it makes you a bigot. People deeply fear being called bigots and homophobes and, and backwards, archaic, close-minded Neanderthals. Uh, they, they fear names. They fear labels. This is something that is ingrained in us from a young age. It's, uh, it's not the only weapon that cultural progressives have in their arsenal, but it may be among their most potent. We have been conditioned to be deathly afraid of, of labels. And part of that is human nature. We seek the approval of society. We want to be liked and adored. We, we, we hate being ostracized and excluded. Um, but I think that the power to con- control speech by labeling it is far more potent now than it's ever been. And, and because we live in a society where people are trained as kids by the media, by the culture as a whole, by public schools especially, and by the environment in schools, the collective environment, to follow the crowd, calibrate their identity based on cultural trends. It's ingrained in us. Um, and you think about it as a kid in school, what's the, the, the worst thing that can happen to you is that you get labeled as something, something negative. And you can never shed the label. And we become deeply afraid 
of having that happen to us. And so for many of us, all it takes to get us to shut up and go with the program is that label. Bigot, homophobe, fanatic, hater, transphobe, sexist, racist, whatever. Because those labels mean you might lose friends, you might suffer a damaged reputation, uh, you won't be invited to hang out with the cool kids, to sit at the, at, the, at the cafeteria table with the cool kids, you'll be a weirdo and a freak and an outcast, and that possibility is simply too much for some people to bear. So we know that. But for those of us who do not care about the labels and will not adjust our beliefs to avoid them, that's where more direct measures become necessary. Well, personally, I don't care. And part of this is just, is just numbness. I've been labeled so many things by so many people. I just don't care. It means nothing to me. You call me a bigot, a homophobe, a racist, a sexist. I'm not even going to, I'm not, I'm not even, and I think this is important. I'm not even going to play the game of saying, no, I'm not. I mean, I'm not, but I'm not going to even play that game with you. You call me a bigot. All right, whatever. I don't care. I don't care that you said that about me. I'm not, I'm not going to grovel before you and, and try to convince you that I'm not. I'm not because I don't owe you that. I don't owe you that and I won't do it. And this is what we all, as conservatives, we have to understand this. Someone calls you a racist, a bigot. Um, don't, you don't agree with it. Don't say, oh, yes, I am. Don't do that because they win there too. But you also don't fall at their feet and say, no, let me show you why I'm not. You say, I don't care that you said that about me. And then you just continue on like they didn't even say it. You totally ignore it. That's, that's how you win that. But if enough people adopt that strategy, um, then the, this uh, labeling thing isn't as effective as it is, and that's where the more direct measures come into play. And this is where the left transitions, as I believe we're starting to see, and we'll see more and more as time goes on, uh, will transition from you know such and such opinion is hateful to you do not have the right to have hateful opinions. And they've already laid the groundwork. See, they've already done the work of explaining, here are the hateful opinions. We know what they are, right? Pretty much anything that a conservative Christian might say. Here are the hateful opinions. You're not allowed to, and, and we've already done that. And then pretty soon it's, you're not allowed to have those opinions because they're hateful. Now, once they've made that transition, we are left in a bit of a lose-lose situation if we don't know how to play it. Because if we argue the first point that our opinions are hateful, you say, oh, they aren't hateful because of this. Then we give the impression that we've conceded the second point, which is that uh, we don't have the right to hateful opinions. You see what I'm saying? This is, this is one of the problems. This is why, you know, you get to the, uh, the issues with um, bakers that don't want to bake cakes. And the left says, well, you, you have to bake the cake. You're not, you know, it's, it's bigoted. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a bigoted thing. It's, it's homophobic to not bake the cake. You're not allowed to do that as a business owner. And the problem is a lot of conservatives come in and say, it's not bigoted. It's not homophobic. Let me explain to you why. And of course, it, it in fact is not bigoted. And it's not homophobic. Let me, let me explain. But when we make that argument, we've conceded essentially the point that if it were bigoted, 
Yeah, well, of course you shouldn't be allowed to do that. So the argument we should be making is, you know, it doesn't even matter if it's bigoted or homophobic. That makes no difference. They should still have a right to do it because it's their business. That's the argument we have to make if we want to preserve our freedoms. Once we make the second argument, then we've then it's just a matter of, well, let's determine what is bigoted and what isn't so that then the bigoted things will, will not be allowed anymore. Now, we have to have the guts to stand up and say, you know what? Even bigoted things should be allowed. Yes. So it doesn't matter if you think it's bigoted that, that I as a baker won't bake the cake. Doesn't matter. I'm allowed to do it. I don't care. I'm allowed to do it. I, yes, I am allowed to be a bigot. That is true. I have that right. I have that right, and it's ingrained in the Constitution. It is a legal right that I have. That's an argument we have to make, or we lose our freedoms. Of course, the problem with that, once we make that argument, then it's as if we've conceded the first, and we've given them the moral high ground by admitting that, yeah, you know what? We are bigots. Then they've won the moral argument, which, of course, we can never let the left do because they they have no moral standing whatsoever. And often conservatives will avoid this conflict, not sure, you know, which argument to make. So they avoid the conflict by hiding under their beds until the storm pass and making neither argument. And that's no good either. So I think what we have to do is make both arguments. And we have to be we have to make them both well. And that's that's somewhere that's that, that's, you know, it's it's conservatives have uh, for a long time um, and really all non-liberals have not been very good at making arguments, explaining their positions. And that's caused us a lot of damage. And we've lost a lot of ground because of that. We've lost almost all all of our ground because of that. So we have to make both both arguments. So on hate speech, there, there are two arguments here. The first argument is that what people consider hate speech oftentimes is not. And the second is that even if it were, they would still have a right to it. So for the first part, hate speech. Is it hate speech to say something that insults or offends a group of people? Well, of course not. Of course it's not. That's not hate speech. Of course you cannot consider that hate speech. Because people... Being offended by something is a subjective experience. Now, I believe there are things that are objectively offensive by any measure. Okay. But um, there are, of course, many examples of being people being offended by things that many of us would think are not offensive. The left will say that it's hate speech and insulting to a group of people. Not if you even criticize them, but if you criticize their activities, what they do. And see, that's what this is all. That's, that's, that's the, uh, the, the game here. That the position of Christians in particular, you know, what we constantly get in trouble, the opinions we get in trouble for are not opinions of, oh, that person is uh, is is a scumbag is dirt is is you know le- is subhuman we we are the ones who are who are constantly saying that people are valuable that human life is valuable and sacred um you know, we just had this whole conversation this week about how human beings are are more valuable than apes 
we were the ones saying they're more valuable than apes. It was the left saying that they're not. Okay, so so we're the ones uplifting people, but what we do is we criticize, uh, condemn, even judge activities that are wrong, that are sinful, including our own. Okay? We have a, a moral message about what sort of activities are not right to do. And the left, they have their moral message too about activities. They have activities that they condemn, such as going to church, okay? Reading the Bible and other things. So everyone condemns certain activities. But it just so happens that some of the activities that that, that we say are are sinful, uh, it just so happens that there's, you know, a, a... powerful wealth there are powerful well-funded groups that uh, care very much for not only participating in those activities but normalizing them and making them mainstream and making them acceptable in society that's what the lgbt lobby is all about not about protecting people not about uplifting people but quite the opposite in fact it's all about activities perversion deviancy And so they want to normalize those activities. We criticize the activities they're trying to normalize. And then we're told that we're being hateful to gays and whoever because those people happen to enjoy those activities. It's absurd. Okay? It's absurd. Uh, Particularly because, whether you agree with our opinion or not, and you should because we're right, but whether or not you do, it's clear that, that... the reason why we condemn these activities, you know, such as uh, in this example, um, homosexual, the homosexual activity, homosexual sex, or uh, with transgenderism, you know, the, the, the activity of pretending to live as a different gender, getting a sex change, you know, these kinds of activities. Um, what we're saying is that not only are they sinful, but they're harmful to the people who are doing them. And so we don't think you should do them because they harm you physically and spiritually. So it is out of our concern for you that we say you should not be doing this. It is out of our concern and our love for you that we say this. You may not agree, but, to, but, but if our motivation is, hey, don't do this because it's harmful, I don't know how you could turn around and say, well, we must hate you. No, if we hate someone, we would leave them to their sin. From a spiritual perspective, what does it mean to hate? What does hate mean? And we use this term all the time. What does hate mean? Hate, um, well, what does love mean? So we can get the opposite of it. Love means, and I think it was, uh, it was either Aquinas or Augustine, I believe, who said that love is to will the good for the other. Um, It's to want, the, you know, the, the, the object of your love to, to be good and to do good and ultimately to go to heaven. That's what it means to love and to try to help them along the way. That is what it means to love. It t- takes different forms depending on the relationship, um, but that's what it means to love. And if you don't, if that is not your motivation, uh, if that's not both your feeling and, 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 and your choice for another person, if that's, not, if that's not how you're acting towards them, if you are not acting towards a person in such a way that, that points them towards the good, then you do not actually love them. You don't. 
uh, and this is why, you know, we, we say we love people and, and oftentimes we have these destructive relationships where we're, we're dragging somebody down into, into despair, into self-destruction. And you, you see this a lot. Uh, and these are, and if you're trying to do that to someone, you do not love them. You do not love them. Hate is the opposite. Hate is to will the bad, to will the destructive for another. Uh, hate is to essentially, in the end, want someone to go to hell. That's what hate is. That's what it means to hate somebody. So if we're saying, don't do this because it'll send you to hell, then that's the opposite of hate. Because hate would be say, hey, you know what? Go to hell. Go ahead and do it and go to hell. I don't care. That's what hate is. So it's not hateful. It's not hateful. Um, doesn't matter if you disagree with the opinion. And I think it's interesting because, you know, as Christians, we can look at the decisions and choices that progressives make, um, particularly when it comes to these big cultural issues, you know, gay rights, abortion, transgenderism, and so on. And we can see that the people who make these choices and live these lifestyles and do these things are not happy are very, very miserable, and they find no happiness in it, and that's why you find suicide rates and drug abuse and everything else are so skyrocketing high in the gay, in the gay community, transgender community, among post-abortive women. Uh, so, so we believe that these things are self-destructive and are not good, and so we do not will them for you because they do not lead you to the good, and we have evidence for that. Aside from everything else, uh, it's clear that the people who do these things are not happy people and are often quite self-destructive. Um, on the other hand... You know, progressives are hateful towards religion. They don't think we should we should be engaged in religion. Although it's clear when you look at when you look at uh, devout Christians, it's very clear that often they're very very happy and they live fulfilling lives and they have successful marriages and they have good families and and all of these things. And progressives do not will that for people. They don't want that, even though they see that it does bring people happiness. And so I would say that they are in fact the hateful ones. So that's the first point. The second point you know, we have to make that point. We have to establish it. Very important. The second point is. And partly because of this, that hate is uh, partly because hate is, 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 you know, such a vague term that can be used and abused and misused. But even beyond that, it is not illegal. It is not, uh, you know, in violation of, of the Constitution. In fact, the Constitution protects all speech that, again, does not specifically call for the for physical harm to be done to another person. And so it doesn't really matter. All everything that I just said doesn't matter. We should even if you even if you say, well, it is hateful to to be against gay marriage or abortion. It doesn't matter. I still have a right to it. We must have a right to it because if we don't, if we don't, then what happens is that whoever is in charge. Because hate is such a vague term. And there's not an agreement, obviously, among all, all in society about what is hateful and what isn't. Then whoever is in charge, whatever power or force or ideological force is in charge at the moment, gets to determine what is hateful. And then they get to decide what speech is legal and what is not. Our founding fathers recognized this. And that's what, it's not like back in the late 1700s, uh, hateful speech didn't exist. Probably the term hate speech wasn't used because it's a vapid and ridiculous term. But hateful speech itself did exist yet yet they didn't make any 
addendums on the First Amendment to outlaw that kind of speech. Why is that? Because they recognize this. They recognize what they were trying to avoid is a government that can be ruled according to the whims of whoever happens to be in charge, because that is a dictatorship. And what we're trying to have is a is a republic. Is a representative government, a republic. We're trying to not they were trying to avoid that scenario. And so that's why you just have to say all speech is protected as long as it doesn't specifically call for physical harm to be done to another. And then that's it. And then we all live our lives and we continue on living. And yes, it may result in some people being offended, some people getting their feelings hurt. It may even result in some people saying actual hateful things, actual bigoted things, and they have the freedom to do it. And that is a very small price to pay for freedom. So most that is called hate speech is not actually hate speech, but even if it were, it should still be legal and protected, and it is legal, and it is protected, and it ought to stay that way. All right, that's going to do it for me. I'll talk to you next week. Akruche Salus. Godspeed.